Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. If you haven't been with us, if you're a guest with us today, I know we have some some family here for the dedication. We're so glad you're with us. We're actually in the third and final week of a a little three-week message series called You're Not Jesus. Can we all say that together? You're Not Jesus. Uh, The the idea for this series actually came a little over a year ago. I was having lunch with Dave F. Graves. Many of you know him. Uh, Dave and Michelle own Dave's Towing. You see their trucks, their white trucks all over the city. And uh, we were having lunch, and I was like, hey, Dave, how's it going? He's like, oh, you know, uh, just being a little like Jesus, showing up and saving people. And we kind of chuckled and laughed. And uh, we were talking together about the needs in our city and some of the stuff that tow truck drivers get to see, you know, in the city at night and all these things. And he was just saying that the needs are so great. And there really does have to be this moment where you, you recognize, hey, I can't, I can't. I can't be Jesus to everybody, so, so you have to take this mindset of, I'm going to do what I can to help people where I can, and, and leave the rest to God. And so we, we had that conversation, and out of that conversation came this, this message series called, You're Not Jesus. One of the things we've been saying each week is that being like Jesus does not mean that you are Jesus. Okay, there is nobody here, I, I think, I hope, nobody here would say, I'm Jesus. I'm the Son of God. I'm the only holy, pure Lamb of God. I'm the one who holds everything together. No. Nobody would claim that. So why are we talking about it? Because sometimes we act like we're Jesus. Sometimes we actually take responsibilities that belong to Jesus. And I've been saying this the last few weeks. I could invite you to be like me, but you would never be me. I have responsibilities as a father, as a pastor, that that are not yours. So you could be like me, but you couldn't be me. And Jesus has some specific responsibilities that belong to him and not to us. That's kind of what we're talking about. In in, in one sense, I would say that this three-week message series is really... Is really um, uh, an invitation to those of us in the room, and I assume that many people here and listening online are already followers of Jesus, so you're trying to be like Jesus and become like him and love like him and, and to follow him uh, in his way. So we're trying to do that, but this is kind of like a, hey, let's not go too far. Uh, so let, here's what we've been talking about. We'll talk about um, over the last uh, few weeks. In week one, we talked about he's the judge. You're not the judge. He is. And one day, every person, including you and me, will stand in front of Jesus and will stand alone. And on that day, we'll, we'll be responsible for what we did or didn't do. And our friends won't be with us. Our spouse won't be with us. Our kids won't be there to be you and Jesus. And the last thing you want to do when you're standing in front of Jesus is have to explain all the times you judged everyone else. And so we said, look, a lot of times, the, the, the times that we're passing judgment on others, we could just let that go and leave it to the judge. And if we have to judge, we want to do it slowly, and we want to do it carefully, and we want to do it mercifully, because in the way, in the measure that we judge others, we'll be judged. In week two, we talked about control, and every one of us wants to be in control. But let's be honest, there are very few things in this life we're actually in control of. You can't control the government, although you'll try. You can't control the weather. You can't control your kids or your spouse. I've tried both. You... You can't, you, you, the only thing you actually have control of is yourself to some degree, but you can't even control your own health. Wish you could. So, so you're in control of your, your thoughts, your actions, the words that come out of your mouth. And we're, we're actually invited by Jesus to be responsible and take control of the things that are ours and to leave the rest, to trust him with the rest. So that's where we were last week. It's like, let's not try to control every situation. And today, as we close out this series, I want to talk about how Jesus is the savior. You and I are not. He's the one that rescues everyone. He's the one that saves sinners. We don't do that. And so we get to be a part of his mission and we get to to be Jesus to the world, but we're not him. We're not the savior he is. So the word savior, according to Merriam-Webster, is defined like this. Savior is one that saves from danger or destruction. And when I read that definition, you know what I think of? Heroes. 
When I was a kid, all these superhero movies were coming out, and, and still today, I mean, now the, the modern is like the Avengers and all those guys. But when I was a kid, it was Superman, and it was uh, Batman, it was Wonder Woman. And, and the thing that they all had in common is that they saved people from danger and destruction. Like, the, the plane is about to crash full of people, and they're all, ah! And Superman flies under and grabs the plane and puts it down, and he's like, standing there and it's like it's amazing as a kid i thought i want to be like that guy i want to be the hero of the story don't you am i the only person that dreamed of being a superhero when i was a kid it's like when i grow up i want to be superman okay i wanted to be the hero i and and that still remains in me today i want to be the hero for my kids i'll be honest i want to be the hero for my wife on occasion i wouldn't even mind being the hero for the church you know pastor nathan comes swooping in to save the day. A hero is somebody who saves and saves the day. Um, about a month ago, I got a phone call from my, my eldest son. He's in university here in town. And uh, he calls me and, and it was kind of late. It was about getting ready for bed. And I get this phone call. I'm like, oh, wonder why he's calling me this time of night. And I said, hey, what's going on, bud? He's like, oh, dad, my car won't start. I don't know what's going on. And he's stuck. He's stranded in the city. And I, I, I had a conversation with him, found out what was going on with the car. And then um, I thought, okay, I think, I think I know what's going on. So I grabbed some tools and I grabbed some booster cables. And I remember saying to my wife, I said, Jess, I'm leaving. She's like, okay, I'm going to bed. I'm like, I'm going to go save our son. <laughs> and I literally got in the car and I wasn't mad that it was late and I was supposed to be going to bed. I was excited to help. I was like, I get to save the day. I get to be the superhero. So I brought my cape. <laughs> I mean, just because honestly, I, I'll, I'll be honest. As I was driving over there to help my son, I really felt like I was wearing one of these. You know, dad is coming to the rescue. I got my tools in my car. Nice, right? Some of you are like, why is it baby blue? I will tell you, uh, I wanted to order a cape on Amazon for this illustration. And all the good colors were really expensive. And I was trying to be, you know, faithful steward with the resources of our church. So, and it looks good on me. I'll be honest. Um, so I got the baby blue cape, but I'm driving to where my son is. And I'm literally like, dun, dun, dun. I, I see him, he's standing outside in the cold, waiting beside his car, and I pull my car up to the front of his, nose to nose, and I jump out of the car, and he's like, Dad, thanks so much for coming. I'm like, no problem, bud. We're going to get your car going. And I turn around, and I go to grab my door, and I locked. <laughs> the car's running with my keys in it, my cell phone's in the car, and now we're both stranded. We're, we're standing there. We both have the same car, two black Civics, nose to nose, just standing there in the cold. So, in, the, in a flash of an instant, I went from the hero wearing the cape to, look, I think we all want to be the knight in shining armor, but in this moment, I was also the damsel in distress. And so I literally had to take off my cape, humble myself, and make a phone call that I did not want to make. Hi, honey. Remember how I came to save our kid? Yeah, I need you to come and save us both. And so she, she showed up with the keys. It was humiliating. Um, but I learned a lesson. And the lesson is this. It's way more fun to be the hero of the story than to be the damsel in distress. Okay? Here's why this matters. Because Jesus is the Savior. We are not. And what's interesting is our desire to be the hero of the story. It permeates everything. So let me give you an example. When we read the Bible... And we read a story like David and Goliath. I got a little picture here that I can show you. Here's David, you know, the young boy with the slingshot and the rock, taking out the big giant, the standing in the way of the nation of Israel. When we read this story, guess who we think we are? 
David, right? It's like, yes, I'm slaying my Goliath. And we're like the, the, the hero of the story. But in reality, when we interpret the scriptures correctly, we're actually these, the scared Israelites, wetting ourselves. Jesus is the one who shows up and takes out Goliath. Jesus is the one who single-handedly saves his entire pe- all his people. Jesus is the one who accomplishes for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. He's the hero of the story. And as you go through the Bible, every time there's a hero, it represents Jesus. He's the one who gets to wear the cape. He's the one that shows up and saves us. We get to be the damsel in distress. You're like, oh, I don't like that. I want to be the hero of the story. And that's the problem. We want to be the hero of the story. Uh, I love this in, um, in the book of Acts. Uh, Peter, he's, uh, he's just uh, healed a guy who was crippled. That's incredible. Like, this guy who is unable to walk is now miraculously able to walk, and they're on trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And they're like, how did you do this? And you know what Peter says? He doesn't pull out his cape and be like, well, let me tell you what I did. My four steps to a miraculous healing. I did this or I said these words. No. You know what Peter's like? He's like, it was Jesus. I'm not the hero of the story. Jesus is. And then he says this. He says, there is salvation in no one else. Peter's like, actually, let me tell you something. You guys are trusting in the law of Moses. You're trusting in the sacrificial system. He's like, the only one who can save is Jesus. The only one who gets to wear the cape is Jesus. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I love this. Peter's like, you want to know? Jesus. He's the hero of the story. Do you want to know who healed this man? Jesus. Do you want to know who will save you from your sins? Jesus. I love that. He points to Jesus. Now, what does he save us from? You're probably wondering about this. What does he save us from? Because there is a sense in which we can say, you know, I tried to save my son. We tried to save it. When I was a teenager, I used to be a jerk. And sometimes my buddy would be standing by the road and I'd like push him towards a car and pull him back. I'm like, saved your life. You owe me a root beer. It, they never seemed to get the joke. Um, so we can, we can show up and we can save the day for our friends. We can do all kinds of stuff for other people. And that's good. We should love and serve and care for one another. But we got to be careful that we don't take the place of the Savior. What does Jesus save us from? Well, there's two things. I mean, this is really foundational. And you're probably like, oh, I know all this. But I really want to look at this. Because this is foundational. Because a lot of the reason why we... we there's a thing called a Savior complex. And that's where you feel like you have to step in and save everybody. You have to show up and you got to pay for the thing and you burn yourself out and you you do all kinds of things that hurt you and your family because you're trying to help everyone. And the reason why is because we don't understand he's the savior and he saves us from two things, sin and death. Paul writes this uh, to Timothy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Sinners. Sinners. Jesus came to save sinners, not righteous people. Jesus came to save the bad guys, not the good guys. We're the bad guys. We're the damsels in distress. He came to save sinners. And you might be like, well, clearly what Paul is talking about is not these. Like, look around. Those are pretty nice folks in here, right? Jesus didn't come to save these. These aren't the sinners. It's those people out there. It's the people that do really bad things. No, no, no. Notice what Paul says next. He says, of whom I am chief. Paul, the guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament. Paul, the guy who took the gospel of Jesus to all these nations that had never heard it. Paul, the guy who would become a martyr for Jesus, says, I'm the chief of sinners. He includes himself in that bucket. In Romans 3, he says this. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So who's exempt from sin? Nobody. Every person born in sin. And what we do is we classify ourselves. We compare ourselves with others. So we have this hierarchy of sin. It's like... 
there's really good people. They're like saints. I wouldn't say that's me. I'm a above average good person. And what's interesting is if you ask everyone, they all think they're above average, which means if you know mathematics, then they're not average at all. And then you've got average, and then you've got below average, and then you've got the really evil, wicked people. And so we classify ourselves, we go, I'm here, and they're there. But in reality, when we stop comparing ourselves with each other and compare ourselves with God, guess what? All of us sinners. All of us in need of a Savior. The second thing that he saves us from is death. Now, the wages of sin is death. So because of sin in this world, we die. And I know people talk about more, uh, what do you call that, uh, mortality rates. Well, guess what the mortality rate is? It's 100%. Everyone dies. Whether you're old or young, we get different amounts of time, but we all die. Whether you are rich, you've got an oxygen tank in your basement, or whether you're poor, you might delay it, but it's coming. Death comes for all of us. Whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're Asian, Hispanic, doesn't matter. Death comes for us all. Male, female, transgender, don't care. Death comes for everybody. One day, if the Lord doesn't come back, every single one of us will be in a pine box. Or for some of you, if you're wealthy, an oak box. Or some of you, a jar of ashes. Right? I think I'm going to go that way. Right? Yeah. It's the last time, last opportunity I'll have to have a smoking hot body. Um, So is that too far? That's the one? That's the one that's too far. Okay. The point is, we all die. The point is, we all die. There's... Listen, it's, death is the great equalizer. It's the great equalizer. If you look around, you're like, man, there's so much injustice in the world. Death is coming. Everyone will stand before God. If you look around and you go, hey, it's not fair. It's not equitable. Guess what? Everyone dies. It comes to an end. He will judge. So, so when we think about it in these terms, it's like, hey, we have these two huge issues that all of humanity, every person sins and every person dies. And those are the two great enemies of humanity. And Jesus came to address them both. Hebrews 9.27 is a passage my dad made me memorize as a kid. All right? It is appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. This is going to read a little bit different. The point is, everyone dies, and after you die... I don't know why my dad wanted me to know that verse. Like, put this to memory, son. This is the bad news. The bad news is we've all sinned. The bad news is we all die. The bad news is that we're all going to be judged one day for our sin... And then it's eternal death. But here's the good news. So, he continues, this is the the good news that follows. You go to the next one. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Here's the good news. Christ did for you and me what we could not do for ourselves. Christ came to earth and lived the perfect life. Christ lived without sin. He was betrayed, abandoned, he was criticized, he was killed, he was hung upon a cross. And when he died, he he didn't just, when he was on the cross, he wasn't just suffering pain. He actually took the judgment of God for our sin upon himself. And after he died, it says he went down into the lower parts. He went down into hell where we're supposed to go. And when he was there, he rose victoriously and he took the keys... He took the keys of death and hell with him and he resurrected and he said, go and share this great news with the world. And one day he's coming back. And this is so cool because when he comes back, sin and death will no longer apply to those of us who have faith and trust in him and who are expecting him to return. This is the, this is the story. This is the good news. There is hope for us in spite of our sin and in spite of imminent death, there is hope for eternal life. And it's not because of anything you or I did. It's only because of what he did. He's the savior. He's the one that wears the cape. Jesus is the savior. You 
and I are not. Now, here's the problem. In the absence of a Savior, we can only trust in ourselves. Like, if you're here today and you're not trusting Jesus, you can only trust in your, there's nothing. There's no other option. I suppose you could trust in some other God, but you're going to end up trusting in yourself. And I want to share a parable that Jesus shared in, in Luke 18, verse 9. Let me set it up. He also told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. I think this is a good time for me to put the cape back on. So Jesus is talking. I love this because before he even shares the parable, Luke tells us exactly why Jesus is telling this story. He wants us to know that there are some people, and this might be you or I, who trust in themselves. Like, look what I can do. Look at me. And here's the problem is if we make our life and everything we do about us, then this is what's going to happen. We go on to the next slide. It says, and they treated others with contempt. They look down their noses. Here's the thing. If you're wearing a cape, it's really easy to look at other people with contempt, right? Oh, your kid has messed up his life, going off the rails. Like, mine didn't. You should have parented like me. Where's your cape, by the way? Oh, you're sick? Probably because you eat all that junk food. Oh, you're sick? You probably don't have enough faith. I do. That's why I'm not sick. Anybody ever? Nobody. You look down on people with contempt. You're like, where's your cape? You should have one like me. You should do the good things I do, and then you'd have the good blessings I have. Do you see how when you think like that, you're actually making the story about you? And this is exactly what Jesus wanted to, to nip in the bud with this parable. So let's go on. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Let's hold here for just a second. How many of you, by show of hands, um, or maybe I'll get you just to shout it out. When you hear the word Pharisee, is that good or bad? Shout it out. That means that you guys grew up in church. Because the people listening to Jesus did not think of a Pharisee as a bad person. The Pharisees were the most devoted religious men in the nation of Israel. These are the people that read their Bible every day. These are the people that attended church every Sunday. And some of us are feeling convicted because it's like, wow. So these are the people who gave their tithes, 10% of everything to God. These are the people that fasted. These are the people that did community service. These are the people that taught other people. These are the pastors and elders of the church. We think Pharisee bad, but that's because we have context. But Jesus is saying, you got the good guy and you got the bad guy. The tax collector, we're like, oh, tax collectors, they're in need of a savior. No, tax collectors were Jews who were collecting tax money from their fellow Jews and giving it to the Roman government. And they would take more than they should, often lining their pockets, becoming wealthy off the oppression of their fellow brothers and sisters. Nobody liked that. They were good guy, bad guy. This is really important. Good guy, bad guy in the eyes of the people listening to Jesus as he says this in the first century. Let's move on. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this. Notice the prayer. I want, you to, I want you to see if you can figure out the focus of this prayer. I've highlighted all the eyes just to help you out. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Need a little wind just blowing through the cape and through the hair, right? I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax. He points to the tax letter. He's like, I'm so glad I'm not a bad guy like him. I've got my stuff together. I'm a good guy. Then he goes on to say, I fast twice a week. Twice a week, I stop eating to honor God. I give tithes of all that I get. Do you, do you see it? It's all about me. It's all about what I do. 
It's, it's all about what I've accomplished. It's all about the good things. This, this is how the religious person prays. And then Jesus contrasts it with the tax collector. So now the bad guy is going to pray. Take this off. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. He's as far back as he can get, and he's beating his breast, saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Can I give you a little, little tip about prayer? Because this, 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 this whole parable is about prayer. Here's, here's what you need to know. God is not looking for information. What? I thought I was supposed to tell God about what's going on in my life. He already knows. He knows what you're going to pray before you pray it. He knows your needs. He's not looking. You go to the next slide. He's not looking for information. Can I tell you what God is looking for? He's looking for desperation. That's what God's after. He's look, The parable before this one is the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. So there's this judge that won't give the widow justice and she just keeps coming and she's like, every morning he comes in with his coffee and she's banging on the door. Give me justice! Give me! And he's like, finally, she's going to drive me nuts! And he gives her what she wants and Jesus says, how much more would a just judge, your heavenly father, give to those what they ask for? So Jesus is talking about desperation. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you prayed a desperate prayer? Not that, God, let me tell you what's going on in my life. He's like, yeah, yeah, get past that. I want to hear your need for me to show up. And the reason why he wants us to need him and the reason why he wants us to have desperation is because if we don't need him, we'll trust in ourselves instead of the only one who can save. Jesus goes on to say this in the next verse. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. The bad guy got saved, got forgiven. The good guy is rejected by God. Why? Everyone who exalts himself, next verse, will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see it? Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to humble yourself before God? Are you willing to cry out to him in need? This is the key. This is, by the way, um, when, when you hear church people talking about salvation, they often say, I got saved. Anybody ever heard that phrase? Use the phrase? Yeah, like, I got saved when I was 12. I was at camp. And they said, if anyone wants to follow Jesus, throw your stick in the fire. And I threw my stick in the fire, and that was the moment. Or maybe you went to a conference or a, a crusade, and they said, come down to the front. And you went down to the front, and you prayed. Or maybe you were in your bedroom at late at night and just cried out to God and said, God, I've been trying to do this in my own strength, and I need you to save me. And it was a, a des- cry of desperation. But whatever the case, there's this moment. And, and by the way, salvation is, is a moment. That's why we talk about that. You can refer back to... It would be really cool to have some stories. I actually thought about inviting people on the stage right now, but it it might be really awkward. Like, come up and tell everybody about the moment when you surrendered your life to Jesus and took off the cape and said, you're my savior. And in desperation cried out and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like, that moment might have happened when you were 5 or 10 or 20 or 55. It doesn't matter. But there's a moment that we can point to, and that's the moment. But guess what? It's not just a moment, it's also a process. And this is the piece that many Christians fail to understand. Uh, the best example that I have for this idea is the marriage. And, and not everyone gets married, and you certainly don't have to be married to understand this, but when two people get married, it's a moment and a process. And i got to be honest with you, it's easier to fall in love than it is to stay in love. 
As a, as a minister, one of the cool things I get to do is, is to be part of the marriage ceremony. So I get to stand like a foot away from the bride and groom as they tear up, as they say their vows, exchange the rings. And there's that aw- awkward moment where I say, you may kiss the bride, and I'm standing a foot away. I don't know if you know what it feels like to stand a foot away from two people who are kissing. It's awkward. I'm, and I'm, I'm, always, I'm usually trying to scooch out of the way because I don't want to be the awkward guy in the photo like they're kissing. And, you know, there's... There's the minister looking way too interested, but you can't look disinterested. Like, so these are the things I think about. Um, salvation is a moment and a process. So just like marriage is like this moment where you commit till death do us part. I'm going to love you, serve you, be there for you. But it's a process and you have to learn to walk that out. And it's the same thing with our Christian walk. We commit our lives and we say, Jesus, I'm not wearing the cape. I surrender to you. You're my savior. I'm trusting you. And guess what? A year later, you still have to be trusting in him. You don't get your ticket punched and then one day you're in heaven with Jesus. No, you walk with Jesus to heaven. That's why we named the church Pathway Church because faith is a journey. You accept Christ in your life and you walk with him every day. And some days you do better than others, but we trust in him constantly and continue to turn to him. So it's, it's, a, it's a moment and it's a process. And, and here's kind of where I want to start to wrap things up. If you go to the next one, temptation to drift from faith to works. Here's what I've noticed. When someone comes to faith and maybe you're a drug addict, maybe your life's a mess and you're just like, God, if you, you're like that, you're like the tax collector. God, if you don't have mercy on me, I'm done. I need a savior. Help me. You're stranded. And God comes in. But what happens is as we begin to walk with Jesus and become more like him, We become better people. We sin less. Maybe we get rid of our addictions. Maybe we learn how to have healthy relationships. And we start to give and serve. And we start to like, we start to actually look a little bit more like Jesus when we did at the start. And there's a temptation for us to drift from faith and trust in him to our own works. And what happens over time is that we can actually begin to put the cape back on. You'll notice a theme in each of these messages that we drift in this direction let me, let me give you a personal example. When we started the church uh, 12 years ago, the first year of our church, I prayed way more desperate prayers than I did in the 10th year of our church. Because in the first year of our church, I was like on my knees going, God, if you don't show up, like we're a handful of people with no money. And if you don't show up, there'll be no church. And then you're 10 years in and you got four or 500 people in the church and programs and ministries and staff. And it's like, I got this. But the truth is, No matter how big the church gets, no matter whether you have a building or not, missions, programs, all that stuff or not, if Jesus doesn't show up, ministry doesn't happen. Because I'm not the one that saves sinners. And I'm not the one that can fix your life. He is. I'm not the one that gets anyone to heaven. I'm just, I'm just the guy who gets to talk for 30 minutes each Sunday. Okay? And, and the truth of the matter is that we need Jesus as much today as we did on the first day. And because our life gets better and because we look more like Jesus, we, we begin to think that we don't need him anymore and we actually drift from faith to works. When it began, when we started on our journey of faith, it was like, God, I need you and if you don't show up. And then 10, 20, 30, I'm 40 years into my walk with Jesus. And it's easy for me like, I already know what you'd say. I don't need to pray about that. I got this. I know how to handle this situation. And instead of trusting in Jesus and taking off the cape, and depending on him as my savior, it's easy. Do you see what I'm saying? It's easy to drift. It was all about him at the start. And now it's about me and what I can do. 
There's a danger in drifting. By the way, this is the story of the nation of Israel. Have you read the Old Testament? God saves his people miraculously, brings them out of bondage. And he's like, don't forget about me. Make me first in your life. Don't turn away from me. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they build their farms and they bring in the crops. And they're like, we don't even need God anymore. And they start worshiping other gods, doing their own thing. And guess what? God's like, okay. And he steps back. Nation invades. They're in turmoil. All their food's being stolen. And they cry out to God, have mercy on us. We're sinners. God swoops in and saves the day. There's story after story. Don't forget about me. Continue to trust me. And they don't. What makes you think that we won't do the same thing? It's in the moments when everything's going right that we drift. It's in the moments when we actually start figuring things out and becoming more like Jesus that we stop depending on him. And there's a tendency for us to drift from trusting Jesus to trusting in ourselves. We can start out like the tax collector saying, God, if you don't save me, I'm without hope. And next thing you know, over time, we become like the Pharisee going, don't worry, God, I got this. We need Jesus as much today as we ever did before. Today, I want to close and um, I want to have an opportunity together to, um, to respond to this. Salvation is not about you. It's about him. And in a moment, I'm going to have everyone bow their heads and we're going to pray a prayer together. I might even ask you to raise your hand and identify yourself if you, if you want to commit to following Jesus today. Maybe that's a first step for you. You're like, oh, that's going to be awkward. Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? Desperate people don't care who sees. They don't care what other people think because they're desperate. And if you need a savior, then it's as simple as receiving. Over the years, I've talked to people and sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll be like, yeah, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, but... And I'm like, okay, what comes after the but? They'll say, yeah, but I got to fix this area of my life first. It's like, oh, so you think that there are things that you have to do before you can accept his salvation? Like, that doesn't, like, if I came to you and you were in desperate need of a car and I said, I'm going to give you a car. And you said, I won't receive it until I can pay for it. Ten dollars. It's like, whoa, I'm not even going to give you the car because you think you're buying it with ten dollars. It costs way more than that. Your salvation has been purchased with the blood of Jesus. And if you think there are things that you have to do to earn any part of it, you've missed the whole point of the message. I talk to people and they say, I follow Jesus, but I'm just not ready to be baptized because there's a sin in my life. I'm not ready to be baptized because I'm not fully committed. It's like, do you understand what you're saying? You're You're saying that you don't understand the premise of the gospel. It's been done for you. You receive it. And he transforms you. Soon as we start adding I and me into the equation, we're changing the story. And so today I want to um, invite you to bow your heads and we're going to pray for just a moment. Father, thank you for the precious gift of your son. Jesus, thank you for coming to save us from sin and death. Lord, I pray that as we take these next few moments, that you would speak to our hearts in a way that only you can. I, I recognize, God, that there's nothing I can do in this moment but trust you to do what only you can do, which is to save the sinful soul and to give eternal life. And if there's anybody in this room that God's touching your heart and you, you say, man, today's the day, I want to just make that statement, that commitment. I just want you to just raise your hand and everyone's eyes are closed. I'm just looking around the room just to see if there's anyone that wants to do that. Awesome. Thank you. 
I'm going to invite everyone to, to join with me as we pray a simple prayer of salvation. And we're joining with these folks who have raised their hands. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge my sinfulness. I acknowledge my need for you. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to change me. I ask you to transform my life. I'm taking off my cape. And I'm trusting you as my Savior. Lead me in the way that I should go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, one last challenge before, before we close. There's going to be dozens of people today. And you're like, man, as, 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 as you were talking, Nathan, I recognize that my heart has drifted. That my Christian walk and my attempt to follow Jesus is in my own strength. And I'll invite you to surrender that today. To say, God, I want to trust you and need you as much as I did on the first day. People are like, oh, the gospel is so simple. Trust in him and he does it for you. Can I tell you? The gospel is something we live out every day of our lives until we get to heaven. Trust you. You're my savior. So I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, let me share a couple of quick announcements. Carolyn will keep playing because I want to have an opportunity. There'll be an opportunity uh, for folks to pray in just a sec. A couple quick things. Uh, next Sunday, we're, we're kicking off a, a, a Christmas series, a three-week uh, Christmas series called The Family Tree of Jesus. And we're actually going to look at the, the birth story through the lens of Jesus' family tree. I think it's going to be really fun and exciting, so I encourage you to come back. Uh, for those of you that would like to give and support this ministry, there's a giving table at the back. For those streaming online, there's links below that you can give. Thank you for all of you that, that do that and support us so we can do everything we do. Uh, as we close uh, our service, I'm going to dismiss in just a sec, and we'll hold on to the, to the tracks at the back and just let Carolyn play. We have some prayer folks here. I think they have tags. If you guys could just stand up. Where are you guys? Um, there are some people in here wearing tags. There we see. I see John. Um, there'll be a few others wearing tags around. So after service, if you pray to prayer of salvation and would like to talk to someone, please find someone with a prayer tag. Um, I'll be up here at the front. If anyone needs prayer or would just like to talk, I'll just hang around the front. Would love to celebrate your decision with you, pray with you, anything you need. So with that, have a wonderful day. Thanks for being with us. And uh, we'll see you next week, everyone. Awesome.